Welcome to Tailboard Talk, a fourth shift fitcast. The mission of Tailboard Talk and the fourth shift fitness is to educate and train fire service personnel to increase durability and decrease the potential for injuries and their associated costs. My name is Chris Morella, owner and founder of Fourth Shift Fitness. I'll use my experience as a personal trainer, strength coach, and 15-year veteran of the fire service to deliver tips, tricks, lessons, and information specifically geared towards the health and wellness of firefighters and paramedics. Each episode, you'll leave with immediate deliverables that will improve performance and resilience and keep you in the fight through your career and into retirement. Let's get into it. Hey, what's up, everyone? Chris from 4th Shift Fitness, and welcome to Tailboard Talk. We're down in the basement today talking about grip strength. I did a little uh, Instagram story thing the other day about grip strength and training your grip. I was using double weight plates, just 10-pound weight plates, and doing a four- or five-part circuit. They kind of picked on grip strength, and so I thought maybe it was a good topic to talk about. Probably a quick one today because we're just hitting that one topic, and uh, we'll, we'll keep it moving pretty well, though. But just got done running my three miles today, like two and a half running, a half mile or so, of just walking and warming up for the Run For Our Lives campaign. If you don't know what that is, go back to the last episode with Ryan Maines uh, and learn about it. Go to his website, go to, go to his social media pages. It's all Run For Our Lives, and you can learn what he's trying to do. I'm doing the virtual run, so I have a, a till May 22nd to run 115 kilometers, and Ryan is going to do that all on May 22nd. So he's going to get out there at midnight, on May 22nd and run 115 kilometers. As we get closer, so the virtual run's closed to registration, but he's gonna be asking for support, aid stations. Uh, I'm sure there's an opportunity to donate still. So go check that out. I'll be posting about it frequently as I chip away two miles at a time, three miles at a time at my 115 kilometers, I guess kilometers at a time. But uh, yeah, go check that out. And I tell you what, man, I, running is not easy anymore. I, I was never very good at running. But I jumped back on and tried to just do a mile at a time. And my God, it was just, I mean, my my ankle was killing me. My shoulder hurt for some reason. It was just brutal getting back into it. I tried to put my ego aside a little bit and um, start out slow and do a warm-up. And then if I got any pain, I would stop. And that was very annoying, but I tried to do it. Uh, if you're looking to get into running, now this is completely separate. And I'm not a, a partner with this this company or anything like that, but there's... When I was looking around for like couch to 5K stuff, just for reference material, uh, there was another one. I think it was called None to Run. And it was pretty interesting because it was based off time and not distance. So that what I gathered was a lot of the couch to 5K, couch to 5K programs are distance-based. So it'll say like run two miles today or run four miles today. And this other program, None to Run, and I'm sure there's other ones like it. So I'm not like endorsing them. They might be a, a total uh, thief of a company or a pyramid scheme. I have no idea. But... Uh, it's time-based. So it says run for one minute, run for two minutes, you know, and other days run for seven minutes or something like that. So it's time-based. So it doesn't make you go a specific distance. So if two miles is out of your, out of your range, it's not going to force you to do two miles based on just an arbitrary program. It may say run for eight minutes. And if you get a mile and a half, then super duper. But anyways, look at something like that. If you're looking at, uh, obviously it's spring and people want to get out and start running again, doing stuff. Don't be afraid to shop around your programs. Hit me up if you need any, uh, uh, questions answered, or if you need to be pointed in the right direction for anything, uh, obviously fitness related, but uh, let's get on to today's topic. And I talked about just quickly putting my ego aside. Grip strength is today's topic and grip strength 
is a large, uh, ego is a large factor in grip strength. And it may not seem clear right now, but if you use switch grip deadlift, I'm coming after you in just a few minutes. Let's talk about grip strength though. It's one of the most crucial things that you can possess as a firefighter paramedic. It's the, one of the most, it's like an X factor. If you got it, it is, it's hard to beat. And if you don't got it, it's easy to tell because you will be dropping stuff or you'll be the person that says the halyard is too slippery or that needs to stop uh, carrying somebody out of the house because you're losing your grip, even though everyone else is fine. Or there's a ton of different scenarios, right? We can go into like a writ scenario, a training scenario, forcible entry. Uh, There's just so many ways that your grip is kind of the make or break of a successful operation. And I talked about wearing your gloves while working out in one of the past episodes. And that's that's one thing that you can do to help your grip is to wear your gloves because essentially every time you wear your gloves when you're training or when you're working out, if it's applicable and safe, you're putting a little bit more resistance and a little more barrier in the way of your success. And to learn how to have your hand in the forearm and the grip strength to overcome a quarter inch of leather and thermal protection, you're going to be better in the end. Now, there are good ways and bad ways to train your grip strength. Uh, the bad ways would be just hammering away and doing a million wrist curls until you blow out your forearms and your elbows are achy. You can do a ton of damage if you train your grip strength improperly. And so I'm going to outline some of the ways that I like to train my grip strength, uh, kind of, kind of organically, kind of as a byproduct, but I'm not going to use any weird, uh, form closure or mechanical advantage to overcome a grip deficit. And by doing that, it improves your grip because if you can't lift it with a regular or standard grip, then you can't lift it. And so if you use straps or a switch grip or something like that, you may be able to physically elevate the weight off the ground, but that's not a true measure of your functional strength in your, in your actual capacity. So I got a little bit down that path real quick, but training grip strength, the best thing I can tell you is just to lift heavy stuff with your hands and walk it around a little bit. And that's, it sounds oversimplified, but it truly, truly is the best way to do it. So just looking around here in the basement, dumbbells, kettlebells, trap bar, uh, even barbell, you know, weight plates. And that story I did the other day, I was using two weight plates and a pinch grip and just doing rows and bicep curls and uh, upright rows with them. So anything you can grab onto with your hands and do for a duration that your grip is going to be the limiting factor, that's, that's, perfect way to, that's a perfect way to train your grip strength. You can even use compound movements like lunges, right? If you know you can hold a dumbbell in each hand and knock out 10 lunges on one leg, then go a little bit heavier on the weight, a little bit lower on the reps if you need to, right? And then challenge your grip. If you can handle 50 pounds in each hand for two minutes, do something for three minutes. Well, that's a big jump. Do something for more than two minutes incrementally on your way up and make your grip the limiting factor, not your legs or your hips or your back or anything like that. So it seems like a really kind of dumb, dumb way to do it, but really it's just changing the emphasis, just like you would back squat a certain way to target your hips versus your quads versus your ankles. You can use pretty much any other movement and ease up the tension on the other muscle groups and focus on your grip strength. Now, there are the traditional ways to do it also too. Like that's that clamp thing looks like a, a safety pin, right? The grip trainer thing that you squeeze, 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 or you can do old school wrist curls. Um, you know, we used to do them for hockey. You take a broken stick and then tape a 
a skate lace to it and then hang a weight from the skate lace and roll it from the ground up to shoulder height. You can use a barbell for that too. Just don't forget, you also need to train wrist extension in that. So wrist flexion would be, um, I'm trying to figure, like over the top arm wrestling stuff, right? Like you're curling your knuckles towards your forearm. Uh, you're closing off your wrist. I'm trying to think of other ways you can visualize it. Um, you're doing like the bicep pose, right? And you're curling your, your fist in towards your elbow. So that's wrist flexion. Wrist extension is equally important. So if you're going to do those wrist curls, make sure you're doing the opposite way where you're, you're almost like, um, what would be a good, well, like opening a can of Coke or whatever your soft drink of choice may be, or uh, I don't know, wrist extension, bring your knuckles back towards your face, basically, is wrist extension. So make sure you train both flexion, which is the curling, and then extension, which is the peeling, both equally, equally important. So this is shaping up to be a relatively quick episode. I'm just kind of scattergun in this topic, because it really is important. And you can go into PubMed, and you can find you can find plenty of studies on grip strength and longevity. They've done a, a couple I shouldn't say a couple, a handful at least. They've done numerous studies on elderly people and tested their grip strength, and it's kind of a measure of longevity and vitality. Uh, I'm, that's all great and good. Like you should stay active, and so your grip strength maintains because you have to maintain some, some sort of general musculature in your old age. That'd be fantastic. What I'm more concerned about is acutely in the next 5 to 10 to 15 years when I'm working with you, that you're not the one literally dropping the ball when I need you. So I need you to train your grip as well as train the rest of your body. Now, in the training aspect of this, this is where we start to get into the switch grip deadlift conversation and the straps conversation because those are two both mechanical and kind of artificial ways to lift more weight and to compensate and make up for a lack of grip strength. So let's go into switch grip real quick. Now, this is typically a deadlift, right? So instead of doing a double overhand grip, which is the traditional deadlift grip, you get to a certain point where it keeps rolling out of your hands. You don't possess the phalanges to hold onto it. And so now you're going to switch grip. You're going to keep one hand overhand, which is the typical one. And then you're going to switch a palm forward grip on the other one. And what this mechanically does is as the bar tries to roll out of your fingertips, it kind of rolls into the other fingertips. The forces oppose each other. It doesn't actually roll back and forth, but it kind of locks it in because now you're rolling the bar towards itself. It doesn't make sense either. It locks it in. You can lift more weight, technically. Now, what this does is, not only does it make you asymmetrical, which I'm a big fan of asymmetrical movements, obviously, if you watch any of my stuff, but this is, this is different because you're doing an asymmetrical movement under significant load where you would fail otherwise, which is not typically where I force my asymmetrical movements. Not only are you doing an asymmetrical movement, you're putting your under, your flipped over grip there, the palm forward one, you are putting that bicep and that shoulder at severe risk for injury. Uh, I shouldn't say so. It's not going to explode off. It might, it might explode off your body. You're putting it at a significantly higher risk for injury because of the position of it, right? You're unable to draw attention through it. Your bicep is the long, uh, kind of the long line through that chain now, and you're putting a ton of weight on the tendons running from your forearm to your bicep to your shoulder, as opposed to that more traditional grip where you can build tension through the bar by using that cue of break the bar around your shins or build tension by corkscrewing your arms. You can build tension through your system. That tension transfers to your lats, and that's a much larger muscle group to control that. As opposed to that switch grip hand, the palm forward hand, now that little rope right there going from your wrist up the front of your forearm through your front of your bicep to your shoulder, 
that's handling a ton of the weight and it puts it at a significant risk for injury, all for the sake of lifting more weight arbitrarily. If we go into the straps thing, okay, let's go back to the tension thing. Not only do you uh, put an excess strain on that forward bicep, you also lose the ability then to draw tension into your lats because you've over-rotated, you've over-shortened that muscle and you brought it out of the available position to contract then. So while you may be able to do a double overhand grip and pretend like you're trying to break the bar by twisting your armpit shut on one side, and if you had double overhand, I suppose on both sides, if you totally flip one hand over, you lose the ability on that flip side to really contract your lat and shut your armpit off. It's kind of one of those things you have to try to figure out, but that's what we're circumventing. We're circumventing your actual muscle contraction with what Raph Ruiz would call a form closure. And then you're just kind of hanging on that joint and hoping for the best and most likely hoping for a good score, which is another conversation altogether, but you get where I'm going with it. Now, straps. I'm a little more okay with straps, okay? Because there are times when you want to overload your deadlift or whatever. Uh, and primarily, though, I would think of basically a deadlift with straps. There are a lot of people that do Olympic lifting with straps. I suppose I get it, but again... If your hands can't, if your grip strength isn't enough to lift it, is it safe to be kind of moving with that speed with it? I don't know. That's your decision to make. But straps, you can still have a double overhand grip. You can still lock your lats down. You can still spin the bar, try to crack it in half, uh, but you're not putting that bicep at excess risk. So straps are a little bit more acceptable in my opinion. However, if, uh, if I had it my way, I would just lift a double overhand, which is what I do, or I would... Make sure that if I run into a situation where, hey, I can't lift this because my grip can't handle it, that's just a knock on the ego for the old day, and then I go back with a purposeful plan to work on my grip so that's not necessarily a limiting factor anymore. Of course, you're going to get to a point where no matter how much you work your grip, it's just going to be too much physiologically for you to hold on to. If you get to that level, you're far beyond this topic, of course, and you're into the professional realm more than likely, and then obviously you have the capacity and the knowledge and the training age to use some alternative methods. But for the vast majority of us, the recreational exercisers, the occupational athletes, doing double overhand, keeping yourself safe, and actually working on your true capacity and not your artificial capacity is much more important. Let's just talk about, before we wrap this up in another minute or so, a theory that's out there and that may lend you down another path of thinking. Now, we know that already that if you have a shoulder injury, your body will naturally limit your grip strength uh, anytime you raise your hand over your head. So if you can hold a 50 pound weight at your waist, just like a suitcase hold, right? And you have a shoulder injury and then you bring it up to your shoulder height, your body will govern your grip strength. So you can't put it overhead and hold on to it. And that's like a self-protection measure. If you do miraculously get up overhead, your body's going to be like pushing the red eject button on that thing. It doesn't want you to hold a weight overhead when it knows you have a, a bad joint below it. And that's just the pot, that's just the natural ability of your brain to try not to get itself squished by your mind. Your mind wants to lift it and your body will comply to it, but your brain's like, no, dude, we're not doing that. So taking that into consideration, maybe we have to start thinking about your grip failing with near maximal lifts a different way. Maybe it's not that you're just not strong enough to hold on to it, right? Maybe that's literally your body pulling the ripcord on you and losing your grip or governing your grip because it knows that something else is going to snap if you don't. It knows that if you continue to, to lift this thing and we don't 
release your grip for you, then your back is going to do something weird or your knee is about to go or your shoulder is right on the verge of blowing up. So maybe it's not that you're not strong enough. Maybe you are strong enough. Maybe your body is trying to protect you from yourself and uh, it's kind of pulling the pulling the uh, parachute on you so you don't hurt yourself. Now, of course, we circumvent that naturally because we have to do more. So that's when we do switch grip or put straps on and we tell our brain to shut up because the body's got to do stuff. So just another way to think about it, right? If, maybe you're strong enough. Maybe you, you can do it, but you got something else that your brain is uh, not allowing you to perform that lift with. Uh, one other side note, and I forgot to mention this earlier. I'm just looking at it right now. If you have the ability to use a TRX or a suspension trainer, that is a phenomenal way to train your grip strength because you can significantly lower the leverage on the system and lower the demand on your the rest of your musculature and really really work your grip on that thing. You can really make your grip the limiting factor on any kind of suspension trainer. And remember guys, you can do a lot of damage training your grip improperly. So I'll give you some just quick guidelines here to, to train it. Go until it starts to feel tired and then stop. Doesn't sound too reductionist, does it? I mean, if you keep going and it's burning and then you keep going and you keep pushing and then it hurts, you've gone far, far too far. And and likely you've done some damage that you're going to be paying for. These are more or less endurance muscles, not power producers. So you have to train them like endurance muscles. Minimum effective dose. Get to a little bit of a burn till it starts to get a little fatigued, and then let go, reset, shake them out, and start over again. Do that a handful of times a day, and you'll be far, far better than trying to blow up these little tiny muscles in your forearms, uh, just trying to get a maximal effect off there one or two times. It's not a one or two time thing. It's a long, long time thing, but you can do a little, little amount of work uh, for a long, long time and get a big, big result. Lots of double words. All right, guys, that is it. I appreciate you sticking with me on this one. A little bit scattered, but you know, it's just one of those episodes. It's a, it's a cool topic. We could totally go into the weeds on it. want to keep it a little bit short, a little succinct to the point. If you have questions or methods you like for grip strength training, shoot them over. Uh, if you tag me in something, social media, I'll repost you with that, obviously, or I'll share what you're doing. Um, I love the support. Thank you so much for everybody that ordered shirts. Those went out last week. And I'm just so happy uh, that so proud. I don't know what the word is. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, means more than I can tell you. What I wrote in that little note in your package is true uh, now more than ever. And so thank you again. Guys, if you have any questions, as always, I'm on social media, mostly Instagram. Uh, I still don't have Facebook on my phone, still loving that. But on Instagram, it's at 4th Shift Fitness, number 4th Shift Fitness. Email is 4th Shift Fit at gmail.com. Go to my website, check out the shirts and stickers, order that stuff. Uh, and that's it. I can't wait to talk to you guys in a few weeks. We are getting closer and closer to having this baby. So I'm going to have to get some episodes kind of pre recorded here in case we're uh, a little bit too busy to record. But uh, April 13th. April 13th is a due date. We're looking forward to that and getting this party, getting the show on the road, get the party started, get whatever other slogan you want underway. All right, guys, that's it. Appreciate you. Thanks for hanging out. Talk to you soon. As always, be a force shifter. Bye-bye. <laughs>